Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Links and Locks Podcast. Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm Roberto Arguello of Action Network, and I'm joined here on a special Tuesday by my co-host, Spencer Aguiar. Today, we'll be previewing the Farmers Insurance Open. Just a friendly reminder that... The Farmers Insurance Open starts on a Wednesday this week because the PGA Tour does not want the smoke with NFL Conference Championship Sunday. So the the tournament will be ending on Saturday afternoon. So be sure to set your DFS lineups on Tuesday and get your bets in before Wednesday morning when the tournament starts. So this week we're going to cover, first we're going to get into Spencer's best bet of the week. Then we're going to do a course preview of the North and South courses at Torrey Pines. Then we're going to get into Spencer's outrights. And then... We're going to do a buy or sell because unfortunately, because it is a Monday, Spencer's bread and butter is his matchups and they're not out yet. So we're going to try to give you an idea of which players Spencer is buying, which ones he's selling or looking to buy or sell this week. If, you, if the odds aren't out yet for those specific bets. And then we'll get into a wrap up of the Amex. Unfortunately, Nick can't make it this week. That's Nick Brettwish at sticks picks on Twitter. He'll be back next week when we preview Pebble Beach. And I am hosting for PGA Tour Live this week. I'll be the relief host on the main feed and then the featured holes as well. So unfortunately, I'm not allowed to gamble or give out picks this week, but I can be a sounding board off of Spencer's picks this week as we get into the nitty gritty of these courses this week and the players involved. So it should be a lot of fun. We finally get rough on a golf course this week, which we haven't seen in months, and it's a long one. We know the U.S. Open has played here at Torrey Pines South Course before, and the South Course is the more difficult one. It's where three out of the four rounds will take place this week with players playing both the North and the South Course on the first two days, which are Wednesday and Thursday, then a 36-hole cut. And then we get final two rounds on the South Course. No Pro-Am this week, unlike last week and next week at Pebble Beach. So hopefully the rounds will go a little bit quicker. Um, with that being said, Spencer, what is your best bet so far on the board? I know we're limited with the amount of betting options, but what are you most confident in, in right now? I'm going to give an open-ended answer here because <laughs> there's not a lot out in the space right now. And we were talking about it a little bit before we went on air. It's just a tough week. Like we're waiting on, as you said, the matchups haven't entered the market yet. 
Um, there are some top 40s on a site like Bet365 that you can find them there. But I'll give you a player that I'm very intrigued on this week and a player that I would maybe like to take on in different varying fashions. And whether that's a top 40 wager, maybe not the head-to-head way with it just because of some of the negative volatility I have. But one of the players that I like this week a lot is Dean Burmeester. And one of the reasons why I do like him is going to come down to the off the tee and around the green game with it. We can talk about that a little bit later with it, but I think Burmeester is an interesting target in this golf tournament. I'm high on Burmeester. We know he's a winner who's done it across the world. No wins yet on the PGA tour. And he had a really nice Thursday last week at the Amex as well. Hopefully he brings some of that form that he had on Thursday and not the rest of the week for you and anybody else who bets on him. But Spencer, before we get into any other bets, Let's talk about the two courses, the North and the South course at Torrey Pines. What goes into your model this week and what are you valuing more than normal and less than normal? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a difficult tournament just because anytime you get these split rotational tournaments, you kind of have to figure out how aggressive you want to be in certain areas with it. So I'm going to give most of this answer towards Torrey Pines South, just because we see three of the four rounds take place there. Uh, the property was initially designed by William F. Bell in the 1950s, but it did experience a redesign in 2001 by Reese Jones in preparation for the 2008 U.S. Open. I would describe it as beautiful scenery and views that encompass the 36 holes of golf spread out between both of the properties over the opening two days. But as we keep alluding to, it's important to remember everyone who makes the weekend will play both of the rounds back on the South setup. From a statistical standpoint, There's a fine line between how to handle the minor differences between the two layouts. The North requires marginally better iron play than the South, making around the green slightly more applicable. And the one thing I will note to that is the massive yardage difference between the two setups is noticeable when it comes to scoring. I think that's one of the reasons why, like, we'll get to it later when on a golfer like Tony Finau, he's going to start on the South, which is the most difficult of the two. He's going to then on his second round go to the North. I think that might present an in-tournament betting opportunity that we can get a better price than the 14, the ones that are out there in the space. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that, but it's one of those tournaments where it's like, I'm going to let some of the stats come into play. I'm going to let things build the way that they, they will over the first day with it and kind of just be cognizant of where players are playing because probably this week more than any other tournament, it does matter. And, and I'm not a person that believes in trends and all of that stuff with it. So I'm not saying like there's a better course of the two that you need to start on to find success, but there, there is definitely a better course of the two. If you're looking for outright movements and odds in that capacity, because it's not to say that Finau can't go out on the South and post a good number there, but he's much more inclined to, you know, probably be a little bit behind some of the guys who played the North. And then all of a sudden, when he plays it on his second round, he can shoot himself up the leaderboard. So I'm not, I, I think books are, I would anticipate smart enough to realize that factor there. But even if it means that we can get instead of a 14 to one, you know, a 16 to one, 18 to one, a 20 to one, each one of those numbers comes into play and does matter at the end of the day. Yeah, I think it's something that you have to factor into over this three week stretch that we're on with last week going through next week at Pebble Beach, where there are three courses again next week. And you want to know which players are thriving on which courses and factor that in going forward. Obviously, last week, La Quinta played the easiest, so you wanted to potentially have your first-round leader bets on the guys from La Quinta. And this week, if the books that you have access to offer first-round leader bets in one market with all the players on both courses, you want to probably target the players on the north course instead of the south course. 
that's something else to factor in. But yeah, I like the idea of trying to get a better price on those players on the South course, because somebody's going to shoot low on the North course and they're going to be trailing after the first day, most likely unless something crazy happens or yeah. you have a really outlier uh, round. Like we saw last year from Luke list on the final round at Torrey Pines, where he somehow got his putter hot and so hot that it was so cold for the rest of the next calendar year that it hasn't really <laughs> made up for it. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting course this week, uh, a really different challenge. And I think that's something that's going to be interesting to factor in as well compared to the different courses that we've played recently on tour. Yeah. I've also heard there's been a lot of rain in the area. I, mm -hmm. I think that's going to emphasize driving distance more and that's going to make lies. If you miss the fairway much more difficult. So, um, you know, that's one of the reasons for a guy like Burmeester. I want players that have a good around the green game that can salvage some of that. And I did wait, you know, very fast to lightning quick POA greens. I do think they'll be slightly slower because of all the rain with it, but I didn't want to massively change my model with the way that I built it. So, I mean, for me, like with the way that it was constructed, I wanted players that played long, difficult course as well. Um, I did a recalculated scoring when I looked at par three, four and fives with it, like the dispersion of scoring there is a little bit more flat than I normally see. Um, total driving is probably something like I, when I initially built my model and, and it's something interesting that I've done the last three or four years, I always want to build for this course. I see 7,700 yards at the South and I always want to just go full distance with it. But when you look at the metrics, it doesn't really play out that way. Like, sure, the distance is going to help, but it's more of a 50-50 split. And maybe you can make the argument because of the wet conditions, you could like skew it a little bit more, five or 10% more. Like if you want to do a 60-40 split of distance over accuracy, I think that's completely fine. But I would be aware that if you're just looking for bombers, you also can bomb it into this rough that's a little bit thicker. And that's going to be a problem. So I, one of the reasons why Rom always finds success, like I think if you were to ask who's the best total driver, at least in this field, you would say John Rom. like Xander does that very well also. And I think that that's another reason Xander starting on the North course, I believe on Wednesday, like it's not going to shock me if Xander gets off to a super quick start. And because Xander's one of the favorites in this tournament, it naturally has to push everybody else down. That's playing the other course. Even if we're just talking a couple points, as I alluded to, like every point is going to matter. And, uh, you know, it's going to be tough if Finau goes the opposite way and he actually posts a number because I know both of us and I think Nick included were very high on him this week. But I just don't want to bet a golfer at 14 to one when I believe it's going to move the other way, even if it's only by a couple points after day one. Yeah, I agree. And that's if we're going to make an analogy to another sport, a lot of oftentimes in college basketball, if I think a short road favorite is the better team and especially early on in the season and early on in conference season, when teams haven't played that many true road games, they're probably not going to be winning the entire game such that their odds don't improve. And so I'd rather get a little bit more information, see, Hey, are some of the key matchups that I thought were in their favor, were those going according to plan? And is there just some variance that's not working out or they're just making weird decisions because they're flustered and are some of these issues that they're having fixable within the game. And then you have your target price and then you pounce when you're ready after you've seen what you've seen. And I think that's a really smart strategy this week for Torrey Pines, especially with the two different courses. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on Spencer is that length 
And that's really important, I think, this week because Torrey Pine South Course is the longest course on the PGA Tour. Yeah. The thick rally rough, which has received almost five inches of rain in January, is going to be thicker than normal. And it's normally one of the thickest on tour. And then the fairways, even though it's a long course, unlike some other long courses where the fairways are wide, these are the third most narrow fairways on tour. And I know a lot of people don't love this golf course just because it eliminates a bunch of the field that doesn't hit the ball as long because if you hit the ball far and you hit the fairway, you're going to have a big advantage over a shorter knocker. But if you hit the ball far and you miss a fairway, you're going to have a big advantage over the other guys who miss the fairways too, because the fairways are too narrow in some people's opinions. And the guys who have the best chance of hitting the ball out of thick rough well and under control are the guys with the faster swing speeds who are the ones who hit the ball farther. And the greens are the sixth smallest on tour, which means that, it's going to be an even, even tougher for the guys who are farther away, especially if it's playing uh, soft, which means the ball's not going to roll and it's going to play even longer. So everything just kind of compounds against the shorter hitters and in favor of the longer hitters. And so I think that's why you see a lot of the long players like Luke List won last year. Uh, Mark Leishman's won before. Jason Day's won. John Rahm's obviously had a ton of success here. Patrick Reed's one of the exceptions to the rule. And then you also see Brant Snedeker, Snedeker in 2016. But back in the day, this was Tiger Woods' spot because the short game is much more important with these smaller greens and the tough around the green areas. And then it's a ball striker's course. And then also, if you putt well on POA, you can really thrive here. And obviously, Tiger Woods, being from Orange County, very familiar with these green surfaces. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with everything that you said there. And I guess, like, the one exception to that would be the Patrick Reed, Brant Snedeker situation. And um, I think Morikawa kind of becomes an intriguing person this week mm -hmm. also. Now, we aren't talking about guys in this scenario. Like Morikawa in my model ranks 90th in this tournament for driving distance. I mean, that's on the lower end of a player. But I think that when you take – you need some facet of your game that is exceptional if you're mm -hmm. going to make that work. And we know Morikawa's irons are so good. And I'm not betting Morikawa this week, but – I don't think Morikawa is necessarily out of the equation because of a lack of distance, but it, at the end of the day, you do need something that separates you from the mix. And, you know, as you said, like Luke list is a really good example of this tournament. Like Luke list plays on a big boy courses because of the distance that he's able to provide. And, and I do think that the winner of this event is probably going to be the one that can best put together distance plus some other factors of their game. Uh, but you know, I don't think that a guy like Morikawa or I mean, Justin Thomas has distanced him, but I don't think some of these like iron players are necessarily out of the equation, uh, to win. So that's like the only thing that I would say on the contrary there, but I, I generally agree. Distance is the better prerequisite to have of anything. I completely agree. And I think the key word you said is exceptional. And when you yeah. think about Brant Snedeker and Patrick Reed, two exceptional short game players, especially with the flat stick yes. and if you're going to be able to conquer this course, you need to be exceptional. And we have seen Colin Morikawa excel on U.S. Opens. And we know last yes. year, I think he was he had the 36-hole lead at the U.S. Open uh, at Brookline, I believe. And he yeah. wasn't even playing his best golf last season. And I think Justin Thomas is also an intriguing player this week because he is such a short game wizard. And... I'm really excited to see him on PGA Tour Live. I know he's in one of our featured groups, and the featured groups this week are awesome. We discussed off-air that this tournament is top-heavy. I think there are eight of the top 20 players in the world playing, but only 12 of the top 50. And 
on PJ Tour Live, we're not showing the whole field, but we're showing the top players, and they're all paired together, and it's going to be awesome to watch on Wednesday, Thursday, relative to a lot of the other tournaments we've had recently with the Thursday, Friday coverage. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, but let's get into some more of your picks this week, Spencer. I know you're targeting some long shots pre-tournament. Who are some of the outrights that you're looking at? Yeah, so I already talked about the female situation and how I wanted to handle that, but I'm going to keep the outrights incredibly simple. I grabbed Dean Burmeester at 125 to 1 on Bet365. Burmeester ranked third in my model for strokes gain around the green. That's a stat that experienced a massive increase in exposure when I ran my weighted tee to green section for this course. And then his fifth place mark in strokes gained off the tee continued this trend of a golfer that should learn to love Torrey Pines over the years. I bet Martin Laird at 300 to one. The floor is lower here than I would care to admit, but Laird's upside potential seeps through the cracks when running this tournament for someone's ceiling output. He jumps from 115th to 31st when comparing baseline putting to my expected outcome for him on fast POA. That's one of the scenarios that helped Luke List to win this tournament. And while the weighted scoring does leave something to be desired, his total driving was good enough in my sheet to place him top 25 of a relatively stacked field. Like, I agree with what Roberto just said. It's top heavy more than anything, but it is still a top heavy field. Like, you can't get rid of the, the Rom and Zalatoris and Xanders and Finau and, of course, Jason Day being here. Like, you have a lot of players that can find success. And then I decided to take a final dart throw on Jonathan Vegas at 300 to one. It's funny because I've bet him at this tournament for five consecutive years and I've never gotten anything better than a 30th place result. I don't know why I would expect things to change after he sat out for a few months because of an injury, but it's one of those situations where the unknown has massively inflated his odds. My model believed he should have been closer to 150 to one than the 300 to the one price than we got. You know, maybe you could make an argument that he he makes for a better top 10 play because of that reason. And maybe that's a route that I eventually get to before this week is done. But I kind of, as I said, I mean, those three wagers are so small in comparison to what my exposure can be for a card that I'll add those three. And then I'm going to kind of just try to pick apart this market on Wednesday night as things come into the fray with it. And, and I'm hoping that that means that I can grab Finau at a number that, you know, is relatively enough decent to jump into the mix there. Cause um, I have been a massive proponent that Finau is going to win this event before his career is done. And I would hate to not find a way to get into that market this week where we've actually seen that he has long term now, like win equity, he's winning events when we never thought for five years that he could like win again. Yeah. Finau is definitely going to be one of the most intriguing players to watch this week, especially with that putter being so much better over the last year. Uh, Jonathan Vegas, if you look on data golf's betting tool, he is by far the most valuable golfer relative to the odds to win outright. And so that makes a lot of sense. That was something that I hadn't really seen before where they have a color code with the, the actual value where normally it's not more than uh 0.1%. And his is so green. I really can't see it. I think it's actually like closer to 0.5 or six, but I can't, I can't even read it. It's so green and it's really interesting. You don't have to make an argument, uh, a very compelling argument to back a Longhorn for me, but he's someone who has, I think some upside. And I think that top 10 play is a smart way of going about it. Potentially. He does have a top three or a tied for third in his first appearance here in 2011 also has a T 11 and a T 18 Obviously, the form hasn't been great over the last few years, but T39 last year, and I think there's some upside there. Obviously, downsides with the below average driving accuracy and around the green game, but yeah. 
it only takes one week, which we saw from Davis Thompson last week. The PGA Tour is awesome because you have all these guys who, hey, maybe they're not top 50 in the world, but if they get their game going, they can compete with just about anyone, even if even John Rahm. Um, maybe not if John Rahm made a few more of those putts because he looked like he was rolling it really well. And I think strokes gained putting was misleading last week where he rolled the ball great and just didn't get the the breaks and that's just golf. But if you do get the breaks, things going your way, you're playing well. Jonathan Vegas got a chance, even though he's got that ugly uh, MLB logo on his shirt. Yeah. And it's kind of what you talked about. Like we know the short game is a problem with him. The putting on fast poet hasn't necessarily been great either, but he has that criteria that we're looking for of distance. He plays long, difficult courses. Well, historically, I don't know where he's at with his game. And, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why some of these sites out there, as you were mentioning, are thinking that he's a value. And it's probably one of the reasons why my model thinks he's a value because like the unknown in these situations, when a player is out of sight, out of mind, they just drift too far. And it's like the reverse happens when a player does well in a tournament. And then all of a sudden they go from 200 to one to 40 to one in the next event. And sometimes it's a justifiable move. Other times it's just like, that's why I try to take those players on in head to head matchups when they skew too far in the other direction with it. But um, I think the unknown with Vegas here is, is fine to take a shot on. Like, as I said, it's probably better to take a shot as like a top 10 wager than as a win, but I don't know. I mean, 300 to one is a massive number. And if, if we knew he was in form or if we knew he was healthy, like beyond anything else, which I don't think he would be coming back if he wasn't healthy at this point. Um, there may be some like, you know, ring rust is the wrong word. I mean, that's more of a boxing turn, but, uh, you could have some rust like tournament rust. Cause he hasn't played in a while. Um, and maybe that becomes a problem with it, but I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to shoot for the upside with him. It's like, we always talk about, you need to try to try, try to find win equity and you need to try to find value in the numbers that you're taking. And Vegas is one of the positive climbers in my model when it comes to win equity that, that I can find. And I mean, there's not that many players that have climbed as high as he did. And that's probably where we keep going back to it. Why there's certain sites out there that also believe that to be the case. And for anybody else who isn't as familiar with Jonathan Vegas had an injury that held him out from August. His last event before last week was the FedEx St. Jude in mid August, but last week at the American express, he missed the cut. And although it was a 54 hole cut, so you play three different courses, there was only data on one course and on the one course he did play, which was the PJ West stadium course, which is the toughest one among the three. He finished with positive stroke gain metrics in putting around the green approach play and off the tee and playing a much tougher golf course. I think that bodes well. We know it's only one out of three rounds that was tracked, but encouraging signs there. Uh, Spencer, I know you don't have much else on your card outside of outrights right now, just because of the lack of availability in the markets as the time we're recording on Monday, but who are some other players that you're looking to buy this week? Maybe not necessarily in the outright market, but across any other markets. Sure. So I'll run through my model right now. We'll kind of just take this, go through on the spot here and try to figure out some answers. So, I mean, if we are looking for win equity players that take a positive climb, my model likes Ricky Fowler this week. Um, he jumps from 33rd overall to 13th when I run this for pure upside. Um, a guy like Harris English takes a little bit of a climb for me. I, I don't know if I necessarily got what I expected from him last week. I know the course history hasn't been great. So that might end up being more of a, you know, a top 20 wager than anything else. Um, one of the golfers that I think, and I don't know exactly what would be the best way to play him, 
Uh, my model likes Thomas Dietrich. It thinks he's the real deal. And maybe that means that there's value in the outright price there at, you know, I see about 80 to one. Maybe you can find better if you shop around, but um, I don't know if there's anybody necessarily that's like a massive value for me to win this tournament. And that's kind of like one of the reasons why I'm trying to hold it off to uh, Finau in this situation. My model really likes Robbie Shelton. If you want to talk about safety for this event, uh, he's top 20 for me when it comes to overall and for the safety rank there. So Maybe if you can find a head-to-head matchup with Shelton, I think the around the green game for him is what we're always looking for. Like anytime he can utilize that facet of his game, it's kind of what you're looking for. But um, a lot of it's going to come down to players that I would be more inclined to fade, I guess, and try to find matchups against those types of guys. So who are some of those guys you're trying to sell this week? So uh, I seem to be off of this guy every single week and it has worked out. I haven't lost a bet on him. I do not love Kurt Kitayama this week. Uh, I know there's a lot of people backing him. And I mean, I guess you could make the argument that like the pure upside that he brings is noteworthy enough, but you don't really have to look any further than what he presents on a weekly basis. Like I would love to find a head to head matchup against him. If I could possibly like locate one in the space, he's 51st for me overall. Um, he's 51st for upside. He's 52nd for safety. So it's not like he's so terrible in that regard, but he's also, when you look at the betting odds, 29th overall, uh, if you look at DFS markets, he's 28th overall in the pricing there. So I just think that there's an opportunity to take him on because of some of his skill sets. Like you're going to find the really high end stuff, the weighted T to green looks good for him. Uh, the recent around the green is going to look great, but you know, not he's outside the top 100 and weighted fast POA. He's 91st when playing long courses. He's 119th in par five birdie or better percentage. I think that's a massive problem. If you're not scoring on the par fives, there are difficult par fours and par threes that are longer that you're going to run into problems with. So if you're not necessarily making it up the ground there, you, you run yourself and back yourself into a corner. Uh, and then the three putt percentage, like, you know, John Rom's three putt percentage can sometimes be dodgy also. But John Rom also has an elite skill set everywhere else that, that he plays that he can make up for it. Uh, Kurt Kitayama has some problems. Like, yeah, the iron play looks really good for weighted proximity. He's sixth. But I don't. I think if he's not sticking those irons in close, he's 121st for three-putt percentage. So I would worry if that, for some reason, you know, he gets, I guess, like, the most likely scenario would be he gets inaccurate off the tee. He's 127th in my model. So all of a sudden, if you get inaccuracy that comes into play, you then lower the proximity numbers that are expected because he's playing out of rough. And then now he has to scramble with this part of his game that I don't really love. Uh, that's probably the number one player that I'm trying to find a head-to-head matchup against when books do open up. And, you know, it, it obviously matters who they place him against, but there are some players like that are priced near him that would make a lot of sense. And I mean, that would be options like a Thomas Dietrich. Like, I don't know if that would be the particular matchup that you would get, but I don't think it's that inconceivable to think that that's possible. They're within the same betting odds. Um, they're within the same price on certain sites. So like, those are kind of the matchups that I'd be trying to find. And a note on Kitayama, I think I re- mentioned this a couple weeks ago and the number really hasn't changed, but in his last 24 track tournaments, because 24 of his last 25 tournaments have been tracked, he's been above average in field driving accuracy, just four out of 24 times. So one in That's six, scary, yeah. not great. And when he played here last year, it was the only time he's ever played at Torrey Pines. He finished 12% below the average driving accuracy percentage and he was cut. And even though he had a really strong approach performance over those two days, very poor putting performance again. So 
I see why you want to take him on. I had the Kurt Kitayama bet against him that you made me, you inspired me to do for the in pod play a couple weeks ago for, I think it was 44th or worse. And that one was an easy win. So I think the Kurt Kitayama fade makes a lot of sense this week as well. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying too. Like he's 78th in my model for baseline putting. When you move him to this fast lightning POA surface, he drops to 123rd. So like any single time that you have all these red flags coming into play, it at least gives me more trepidation. And like those, look, if Kitayama goes out there and he top tens the tournament, there are statistical metrics that would make sense for why he would. The proximity play is phenomenal for him, but you don't have to look any further than what he's provided over the course of, I mean, we could date this back to last year. I mean, if he's not giving you a top 10 finish, he's pretty much missing the cut. And like, if everybody wants to back him in various sectors of the market, I think it's going to overinflate some of these prices that we do get in the space. And uh, if that's the case, then he just makes for a really good head to head target. I agree. If you want to bet him, bet him for upside. But if you're betting him in more middle markets, I think he's worth a fade. Um, Spencer, let's get into some of the other big names that we haven't touched on this week. Uh, first, let's go with Will Zalatoris, a guy whom I had a painful outright on last year in this tournament, couldn't quite bring it home. He is 16-ish to one out there in the space. What do you think about his chances this week? And this will be just his third start since August with the back injury that he's recovered from. I I, I like Zalatoris. He's eighth in my model from an overall rank. He's ninth for upside. I mean, the problem that it comes down to is I would rather bet... I mean, if we're talking outrights here, even if we're talking like a potential matchup that enters the market, I would rather bet Xander or somebody like that. Um, I don't know if I'm necessarily looking to take Zalatoris on. Like, obviously, he's found success at this course before with back-to-back top seven finishes. But I don't know if I'm necessarily trying to find a way to get exposure to him um, either. I think if Zalatoris had the typical Zalatoris iron play, he'd be someone I would be very intrigued by if I was betting this event. But just because of the very small sample size we have since the back injury where he lost strokes on approach in his first event and then at the Amex last week, albeit we don't have as much data because he only played two track rounds out of four, but he gained about a half stroke per round on the stadium course last week. It's not typical elite Zalatoris iron play. And until I see that, I'm going to be a little bit hesitant to back him, especially at a number under 20 to one. It just doesn't make sense for me at that price. And then uh, how about Colin Morikawa? What are your thoughts on him this week? I know you mentioned that he's someone because he has that elite iron play who could potentially come through. And I put him in Zalatoris and some similar buckets in that respect. Although Zalatoris is significantly longer off the tee. Yeah. And the other thing just to throw out there with Zalatoris really quickly also is he's historically been really good on these faster surfaces, like the putting Mm -hmm. metrics go up for him. So that's at least something to add, like as a noteworthy point to it. Um, Look, he's, he's inside the top 10 of my model. Like he's, he's not a player that is telling me that I shouldn't be betting him. It's just, I don't necessarily like the price for a golfer that is making a return from a back injury that I don't think the stats are exactly there, like you mentioned. So that's that's one of the reasons why I would just rather not have an outright ticket on him. And if I don't have an outright ticket on him, I probably don't necessarily, like, if we look at the nine, or if we look at, like, the golfers that are, you know, in his general section on the board, um, I would rather play a good handful of them. Like, I prefer Justin Thomas's volatility. I probably prefer Colin Morikawa, as you just alluded to a second ago. 
Now, I don't know if I necessarily believe Morikawa is going to win this event. I very rarely, if ever, placed a wager on Morikawa. He's not a golfer that my model seems to like very often, but he's third overall for me when I ran this tournament for safety. So, you know, maybe there is something out there to where if we can find a head-to-head matchup with him, that he may make some sense in that area of the market for me to try to look into. I'm going to be really intrigued to see Morikawa's around the green play this week. We know that he had that back nine collapse on uh, Kapalua with a lot of tight lies, but you're not going to have a lot of tight lies if you're in the rough around or around the greens this week, unless you're in the fairway. So will those thicker lies allow him to swing more freely and will that help him around the green or will that magnify some of the issues he's having? That's something I don't know the answer to, but I'm going to be very intrigued to find out. I, I always worry also when wind comes into play, just because it does lower some of his proximity numbers. And then all of a sudden, once you do that, you run into the problems with the around the green issues that he does have. Um, I mean, I guess that would be like the only negative downside that I would add to this to where we already know he lacks length. And if you do run into problems with other factors of his game, he could go in the wrong direction there. Spencer, I got a couple other uh, guys. I'm going to give you an option to bet this week. Okay. Would you rather have, would you rather back Jason Day or Taylor Montgomery? Guys who come in with a lot of momentum, who've seen their numbers drop significantly over the last handful of months. I really like Jason Day this week. It's not to say that I don't like Taylor Montgomery, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it's it's funny, Roberto. I feel like I go on all these shows and we talk about it every single week. And a lot of times it's like the evil voice in the back of my head that tells me you have to play Jason Day. You have to play Jason Day. And I go into the week and I'm like, I don't really want to play Jason Day, but all right, I'm going to do it because I have to, like, he's going to get back on track at some point. And sometimes the metrics don't make sense to necessarily go that route with it. My model thinks he is a top six player in this tournament. Like if you were to run this from the top six players that I had, and this is just from an overall rank sense, um, number one is John Rom. Number two is Tony Finau. Number three is Xander Shoffley. Number four is Justin Thomas. I've made a minor change where Sungjae Im is now number five. I think Sungjae also fits that criteria that we talked about with Morikawa, where he's not necessarily the longest off the tee, but he brings enough to the table in other areas where I think that he's a golfer that could find success on his course. And then number six, Jason Day. That's the highest I've had him in my model in what feels like years at this point. So uh, for reference sake, Taylor Montgomery is 10th. Uh, he does drop to 20th when I run this for upside. So if I'm trying to find a golfer to actually win this tournament. I think I'd rather go towards the Jason Day route with it. Do you think there's value in uh, Taylor Montgomery top 20? Um, I can find the number on that in just a moment. But we know, I think he's had seven out of eight tournaments. He's had a top 15 in on tour this year. It's just been absolutely ridiculous for a rookie, let alone anyone on tour. I think the most, I think the savviest way to play him, like if we're talking about DFS, I think you play him in like a, a cash game type of scenario. I think if we're talking about a betting market here, the savviest way to play him is either try to attach him to a head-to-head bet or maybe as a top 20, as you mentioned there, if we can find some value. Like uh, I don't- Plus 137 for top 20, just for reference. I don't know if I love that price necessarily, it's but it's hard to so argue. Much. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue against what he's provided, but we run through his results. 15th at the Shriners, 13th at the CJ Cup, 10th at Mayakoba. Houston Open was a 57th, but 
I mean, every single other, the RSM 15th, the Sony 12th, uh, the Amex 5th. So every single tournament, but one of those landed in that frame of what we're trying to find there. I don't know. It's, I'm much more of a top 40 better than I am a top 20 better. Unless we're talking about guys like that we're getting at super long odds, like a, a Vegas where we can kind of take some shots there. It's not my favorite market in the world would be more of the answer I would give. But as I said, I fixed my model when it comes to safety, which kind of dates back to everything that we've seen from him recently, but um, probably not for me at the price, but he's also not a guy that I'm like actively trying to find reasons to not play. Any thoughts on another Southern Californian Max Homa this week? My model likes Max Homa a lot. So, um, you know, he missed the cut here in 2022, but two top 20 finishes. Aside from that, uh, if we go past Jason Day at sixth, Maxima would be seventh in my model. And we kind of always think of these California courses, like we saw it at the Genesis when he won that tournament, but these California courses where he can use some of his driving acumen, I always think that that's a really good venue. And he's ninth in my model when I ran it for weighted scrambling. So that would essentially be three putt of plus around the green play. Um, you know, once again with him, I don't know what's the plan because I would probably, if like directly comparing, I like Sungjae a little bit more. I like Justin Thomas a little bit more. Um, but I would say that he is in that next range of players. If you want to talk about these like 20 to one options, um, like he's very comparable to me to what Jason Day would be. Frustrating thing for me is there are a lot of players whom I'd like to back against a Rom or whom I'd like to bet on with Rom obviously being the big favorite this week. But the numbers on all of them just seem to be low uh, or lower than I anticipated them being at open this week. Um, I know I saw Morikawa on one book open at nine to one or sorry, at 11 to one and then moved as high as 16, 18 to one on some books today. So it'll be interesting to see if some of those numbers come down as the books want players want people to bet on someone other than Rom this week. Um, but very interesting. I think we touched on all the players under 25 to one, or even with that going into the outright market, uh, any other players you want to touch on before we get into our Amex wrap up? I would like to hear just your general opinion on a golfer like Hideki Matsuyama. I think the Yama is an interesting uh, player for this course. I don't know exactly what would be the best way I'd want to play him, but I've seen some 40 to ones out there in the space. And uh, I kind of generally agree with your stance that you can like, if we look at the hold percentage for this tournament in the outright sector, it is massive. Like mm -hmm. I, I typically take three books and I take the uh, cumulative number that we're getting there to try to figure out what like the aggregated hold percentage would be. And I'm seeing like 160%. That's as high as I've ever run it. And obviously a lot of that has to do with ROM being four and a half ton, whatever number you actually have out there. So a lot of these prices are going the wrong direction for us, like to where I think everything is too short, but Hideki was at least a golf. I was trying to find positive win equity for this tournament. My model did think he had some, and I don't know exactly where he's at is the problem because we talked about it after the century where we kind of anticipated him going in the other direction at the Sony and he did, but he also did it in such a varying different fashion to where it was more classic Hideki Matsuyama of what you would expect mm -hmm. from him. So the ball striking looked really good. Like my model loved him going into round four of that Sony open tournament and he went in the wrong direction. 
I just wonder that if like we get faster greens for him, I always think that that's like a, a good tournament for him. We kind of see that at the masters, even though it's a different surface there to where you give him these quicker surfaces and it kind of masks some of the problems that some of these golfers have. Like, like Zalatoris fits that mold. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke List fit that mold last year. I think Hideki has historically shown that he fits that mold. So he would be the one golfer for me right now that I am heavily considering what I want to do with him because I do believe a 40 to one price might be good enough to take a shot. And if I did that, I would still have a, enough of a room on my card to still go to Fino at that point. So like Hideki's probably the most realistic option, but I'd like to get your thoughts on him. Hideki's someone who intrigues me because everybody else who I thought would be somewhat in his range is overpriced relative to my expectation this week. Yeah. But Hideki was around fair price. And I, saw earlier that he was actually around 50 to one or higher at a couple books, but just looking around right now, I don't see anything higher than 40 to one. So that obviously got picked off early by sharps, but he's someone who intrigues me. I think that he's got more upside than that 50 to one opener would imply at 40. I think there might be marginal value. It's intriguing because of the approach play. And we saw signs of life from him at the Sony open in Hawaii. It sounds like, the neck is doing better and at century he putted well so maybe he puts those two things together we know the around the green game is incredible for him and that would reward him on this course and we've seen it in his last seven starts here uh if you include the us open he's got only two finishes in his last seven starts outside of the top 33 and those are both uh, a 45th and a 53rd so he's a really safe player this week i think maybe somebody you try in a matchup potentially against someone especially if you can get him at a plus number, just because I think he's safe. I think that's something that if I was betting this week, I would be intrigued by. Maybe that's the way to go with it. I, I'm still intrigued with taking an outright on him. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that's where I'm going to necessarily get because I, I, I do believe that this board is heavily, heavily juiced. And yeah. I don't want to start betting into a heavily juiced board. Like that's not conducive to long-term success. 100% agreed. Sometimes the best bet isn't a bet. Uh, yeah. But if Hideki plays to his ceiling, I think he's one of the few players who has a chance of competing with John Rahm at or near his best. When I ran this for upside, just like to the last thing to throw onto this point, he was fifth overall in my model from an upside perspective. And that comes from where we're getting the price there. So um, it's just a noteworthy thing if, if we do believe he found something at the Sony. And I think another thing that would make me inclined to bet Hideki if I had the chance this week is that two of the guys that I'm normally pretty high on in Will Zalatoris and Colin Morikawa and guys that I like to bet on tough golf courses, they don't have their A game, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Could they go out and I would agree. ball strike their way and win the tournament? It would not surprise me. But I'm not betting on, I wouldn't be betting on them this week. And with those two seemingly not reaching their upside this week, it makes it easier if, A, you want to bet on John Rahm and say, hey, it's a top-heavy field. Some of the other top guys don't have their fastball. Uh, maybe Sung JM has regressed a little bit on approach play in the last few weeks. And Kenteki Matsuyama, on the other hand, that also provides value for him because he's more of an unknown. He's got a longer number, and we know he does have that upside uh, with the potential approach play and the stellar around the green play as well. 
talking me into this live on air, Roberto. <laughs> I, I might, I might, I might have to end up adding that to my cart. I just think that the price is too good at the end of the day with it. But um, you make a really good point when it comes to some of these other players around him not necessarily having their A game. And Rom has skewed this market in so many different areas. Um, I don't care how you want to look at this. And, and John Rom very well might win this golf tournament. Like, I'm not going to count against that possibility coming into play. But books have made sure that there is no way that you can gain exposure to betting on ROM in any capacity of how they price this. And maybe you can say that's indicative of what they think his chances are to win this tournament. But I would more so argue against that and say, who is then the golfer who got pushed in the wrong direction? Because, yes, we have like a 60% hold percentage higher than what it should be. But somebody out there has to be a value at the number that they are. Like, if I believe Rom is, you know, as many points off as I think he is off. Like, Nick talked about it on the show last week where he had him at, I think he said he had him at eight to one. So, I mean, we're slicing that number in half from what books are actually releasing him. So there has to be some equity that's moved in a different direction. Absolutely. And it's going to be really interesting to see how John Rom does this week. We know he got engaged on this golf course. We know that he won the U.S. Open in 2021 on this golf course. And his only seven starts on this golf course, he's only finished outside the top seven once. And that was a <laughs> T29. Ridiculous. So yeah. if you ever had a course that you could drop for John Rahm, it would be this one, in my opinion, with his insane uh, driving distance, approach play, around the green play. Um, the putting has been very strong over the last year. It's his tournament to lose, but there are a lot of players out there, and he's one pulled flat stick stick potentially away from being in a playoff with Davis Thompson, a guy who who ranks just below zero total strokes gained on tour, which just shows any given week someone can go crazy in the PGA Tour and you never know who it's going to be and anybody can win. So that's why I think this tour is a lot of fun. Uh, that's why I'm really excited to be broadcasting this week. And one of the things you don't get from some of the elevated events where you're going to have shorter fields with only the top players, you don't have the emergence of players you haven't heard of before. You don't have the opportunity for a Davis Thompson to ball out and make a name for himself. And I think it's going to be fun to see if we get another Luke list coming out of nowhere this week uh, on a, an iconic golf course as well. Um, I, I really, just really quickly, I really like the trajectory of what Davis Thompson can become on tour. Um, he was a golfer for me that when I ran it from every single player on tour and I, and I removed guys from live and I removed some players, um, you know, that aren't going to be playing all the time. So I, I pretty much looked at 250 or 300 of like the best players that weren't those guys. Davis Thompson, even before last week, graded just outside the top 50 for me from an overall perspective. So I don't think that it was as flukish. Look, he was the former number one amateur in the world. He's 23 years old or whatever he is. He has a game type that can really find success on tour. So uh, I would not be shocked if we see him make another run at a tournament. And, you know, I don't know if it's this week. My model doesn't necessarily hate him. It had him inside the top 25. So I'm curious to see where he goes moving forward. I think he's a really good golfer. I think he's going to be someone very much worth keeping an eye on and someone who's going to come up again on the show in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. Uh, so that'll do it for our look ahead for the farmers this week, but let's wrap up the Amex last week. Spencer, how was your week? My week went well. So I had a very limited card, but uh, I went three and O on pre-tournament head to heads. Uh, we ended up adding, which adding plays on this show seems to be working out well for us. Mm. Uh, I added Smalley over Lipsky. That was Nick's play. And uh, Nick ended up being correct with that. It worked out perfectly. 
I had Siwoo over Putnam. That was a sweat to the end, but uh, that ended up winning by a couple shots. And I had he posting over Wyndham Clark. So when I go three and zero on my my bets that I have on the head to head sector, like it's going to be hard for me to find a losing week. I just don't have enough exposure in other areas. Obviously, like the first round leader bets that I had and the outright tickets, those kind of remain south for me from what I've been doing. Um, top forties ended up being a very marginal loss. I did hit Alex Smalley up sixty. I lost on Harris English. I lost on Ricky Fowler, but plus two point zero nine units. Uh, so that puts us right back on track to where it was kind of a slow start at the century in the Sony. But look, I mean, I kind of alluded to that even on last week's show. I expect these seasons to start a little bit slower until all these stats normalize a little bit. And then once they start to normalize better, you know, we get on these runs to where they outright start looking better. And hopefully the head to heads can continue to move in the direction they've been. So uh, never going to complain about winning two units at a tournament. Another strong week. Can't go broke making a profit. Um, exactly. I went a little bit more aggressive than I was anticipating on the outrights. Didn't have any, have any come through um, with a handful of plays at 50 to 1 to 120, 120, 131. Uh, my place bets, Carl Yuan did not come through for me, top 20 and top 40. But Alex Smelly did uh, top 30 plus 230 hit. And then uh, top 20, we just missed out on. He finished tied for 22nd. That would have been nice. That would have made it a really nice week for me. Um, my fades, I think this is becoming my bread and butter, Spencer, where I play in the bet 365 yeah. at minus 120, a player to finish X number or worse. Uh, Zalator is 24th or worse hit. And so I came out just dead even after I added the in-pod play of uh, Siwoo Kim over Putnam, which you guys were all over. And so I had to tail that one. Um, if Smalley gets one shot better, it would have been a really nice week. But uh, we'll move through. Um even that week and not our favorite event and can't win money this week. Can't lose money this week, but I'm looking forward to Pebble beach next week. Um, one of my favorite courses on tour, even though you only play it twice, uh, but it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. I always like this West coast swing of golf. Um, it's probably my favorite few tournaments that come up just like consecutively. I know there's a lot of people in the space that like the farmers or don't like the farmers, but this is one of my favorite tournaments. I love Pebble beach. I love the waste management that's coming up. So, so a really good stretch of golf over these, I guess the next month, if you want to call it that. It should be a ton of fun. And then one of my favorite tournaments of the entire year, right after that at Riviera, the Genesis Invitational, uh, yes. probably my favorite yes. non-major of the year, every year. It's a top five tournament for me. Also, I should have included that one too. Like it's just a really good swing of golf. It should be a ton of fun. Uh, be sure to tune in on PJ Tour Live this week. I'll be on the uh, relief coverage for the main feed. So Ned Michael is going to be the host starting for the first two hours. Then I'll be on for an hour and then he'll be on for two hours and I'm on for an hour. And then I'm hopping over to stream four, which is uh, the featured holes. And I think I'll be closing out the day on the main feed, which will be one of the marquee groups. And then also on stream four, which I believe is going to be the eighth hole part three, which I think is the most likely of the part threes for there to be a hole in one on never called a hole in one before would be a lot of fun. Um, I actually went to this tournament in 2021 for the U S open in person went Friday and Saturday. And uh, I saw our guy, Russell Henley hole out on the 11th hole, the par three from the bunker, got it on video too. So there is proof. Um, and then they put me on the broadcast right after he put it in the rough on 12, the hardest hole in the course. I was right behind him. A bunch of people could see me there uh, as I was, following Stanford baseball get smacked by NC State in the College <laughs> World Series. Uh, unfortunately, Russell Henley is not there this week. 
so the vibes aren't with him, uh, unfortunately. But it should be a ton of fun, fun to see a long, tough golf course, even if uh, the fairways might be a little bit more thin than a lot of people would like. But it's going to be very different golf from what we've seen recently, and it'll be a little bit faster because no Pro-Am. Yeah, it's I, I don't mind a difficult golf course with uh, fairways that are, you know, more narrow than average on it. Like I, I my ideal form of golf is when the winning score. Well, I mean, if you if we really wanted to push it, I like US Opens when we're like towards zero. Yes. Like I'd rather be even par. But if we're talking about a standard event on tour, like if we can get these events to 10 to 13 under. Uh, that's generally my wheelhouse of the tournaments I enjoy the most. So I'm hoping that we get some iteration that's somewhere near that. Um, you know, it's kind of difficult to say because I think the greens will be more receptive. I also, as we've talked about, I think the rough is going to be more difficult. So can weigh both of those factors and kind of try to decide which one of those outweighs the other one with it. But I don't anticipate this turning into some birdie shootout to where the winner gets to 20 under par. So uh, if you're telling me that it's a more difficult golf course, I'm already ready to buy in anytime that's the case. And Spencer, the winning score on this course, eight of the last 10 years has been between nine and 15 under par. So it should, in theory, be right there in your wheelhouse. Well, I, I love that. And hopefully that means Jason Day wins this golf tournament and finally <laughs> gets back on the board again. That would be incredible. And I would also have so much FOMO after not being allowed to bet this week. But at least I didn't pass on him if I had the opportunity. Um, that's true. So with that, unless you got any other final thoughts, Spencer, uh, we can say so long to our viewers and hit the road. No, good luck this week, Roberto. I'll be tuning in to listen to you. And, uh, you know, once again, appreciate everybody out there that tuned in to listen to the show. Absolutely. So that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here on Links and Locks presented by Bet365. For more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out the Best Bets episode from earlier this week. Uh, which should actually be released around the same time as ours because they also record on Mondays normally. Uh, so that'll feature golf bets, Jason Sobel and the PGA tours, Ben Everill, as they quickly run down their top plays for this week's tournament. You can also find Jason Sobel on the gimme tomorrow live. Uh, check that out on the golf bet Twitter or check that out on um, the action network golf's Twitter and the action network as well. You can also find it on the action app and on YouTube. Uh, Nick will be back next week as we break down the, tournament at pebble beach should be a fun one we know all the scenic sites there at the at&t pebble beach pro-am you can find nick on twitter at sticks picks that sticks with an x you can find spencer at t off sports and you can find me at roberto a213 thanks again for everyone who makes this podcast possible especially our producers noah sophia and matt thanks again and here's to hoping you hit the green Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.